Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Great. Now, we were talking offline quite a bit about culture and how that can impact, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, the, the, an organization. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that you were talking about quite a bit was uh, the impact of technology. And you had mentioned that people will often hide behind their technology. Uh, what did you mean by that? And are you talking about improving uh, ways and improving communication? Yeah, it is about communication, Dan. Uh, the thing that I find fascinating, when I say the word hide behind technology, it's using devices to avoid conversation. And um, I have mentioned this, and I talk about it a lot, is my golden rule, which is email and texting is for data, not for discussion. And so thinking about it, just how many times do you, how much time do you spend on a daily basis emailing and texting back and forth to someone when if you took two to three minutes, got up and went and talked to them, you'd have a conversation over. There's a whole disruption that goes on every time you have to reset and put into words. And people, I don't think, really appreciate what that does then to the human connection on this. Because what is obviously lost most frequently when you're um, texting and emailing is tone and body language. And then you spend an inordinate amount of time on the backside having to kind of clean up that mess, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Love email for getting information out. Love texting for a quick answer, yes or no. But it kind of thinking about it from a rule of thumb is if I have to hit reply or reply all more than twice, I've just gone into a discussion or a conversation and I should reset my thinking about how do I communicate with this person. I go into practices as V2V and we look at, you know, how we transform things. And so much of what we have to do at the beginning of the conversation is reset people's expectations for talking to one another. Many times they don't even know how to accomplish that. And they're, the, the, the function of throwing out, you know, direction, particularly as an administrator to folks through email frequently causes disconnections and discommunication with people, which at the end of the day, anytime you have dis in front of a word, you've got a culture issue. And people start to misunderstand and that then drives their perception of their value, their abilities and the expectations that you have of them and their performance. Yeah, we've all had this because we're, we're definitely tied to our devices. I was just telling mm -hmm. you offline that I had my work laptop at home over the weekend, uh, unfortunately doing, <laughs> doing work over the weekend, but uh, yep. I left it at home. So I had to get a loaner laptop here because we just, we're just so tied to uh, these devices and our ways of communication. But I just wanted to ask you, are, are you suggesting then, because so much nuance and true meaning can get lost in emails and text and other things like that, where the, the human voice, like you and I talking right now, we can mm -hmm. basically say exactly what we mean. And, and if, if you don't understand what I mean and what I say, then you can ask me a follow-up question right there on the spot. Or are you suggesting we, we pick up the phone more and talk more face-to-face -face like that? Or what can we do? Well, it, it is pick up the phone is a piece of it, but it, it's also being mindful of 
what it is you're trying to accomplish. And um, I think that it is, you know, it's, it's a pick up the phone or quite frankly, pick up your backside and go talk. Moving around the office. I am fascinated by people having text conversations with each other when they're literally sitting two chairs away. Mm-hmm. I've watched it happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I, even my sister and I, we <laughs> recently have been in, uh, had, were together and um, she's in her bedroom and I'm in my bedroom and she's texting me. Now, it's really great for I'm awake, are you? It is not okay for what do you think about what we need to do with this situation or that situation because we can get a lot of, of you know, misconnect communication. And I find that happening in offices. I think it's great for a medical assistant to be able to text a physician who's off doing rounds at a hospital, how are you doing or where are you at or, you know, what's your ETA? Um, but it is not okay for them to go, how do you think about this patient or what's going on with this particular health situation? It, I think as a leader, one of the biggest challenges you face is in a, in particularly with, and somewhat there's an age workforce issue here, although I think it's becoming more commonplace, is folks relying on technology and not thinking about how it's impacting how they use their time. And that's something that I think um, is an important exercise actually to do. I walk around practices when I'm helping them with transformation and just watch the, the whole use of technology. And I think that's an interesting exercise for administrators to do is to look at their, just go in with that set of lenses and look at how the technology um, is being, being used in their practice. The part that's challenging in that is becoming what I would call draconian in your response. Many times folks will ban cell phone use. They will ban the use of, and you know, like people even have what they call cell phone jails mm-hmm. in their offices where staff have to put their cell phones during work hours. And from my perspective, I think that's a leadership opportunity or challenge in helping the staff to understand why they need to and when they or should use their cell phones and the whole premise of why they do their work. And it's easy for us to go into the really black and white objective place of management, which is very much about, you know, tools, data, technology, and not really think about the other responsibility we have, which is out of management and into leadership, which is about relationships um, engaging people in in their own responsibility, holding them to some measures of accountability, that they feel engaged in the ownership of the work. And that's something I see is frequently lacking. People get into very task-based thinking, not necessarily understanding the correlation of their tasks to the consequences and results of patient care. All of that rolls up into the question of when you use technology and when you do not. Healthcare is intended to be, I mean, the word care is in the title. We should be a caring industry. And are we using technology to care for people or just to put them into boxes and buckets to get us through the day and on to whatever it is we really want to do, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. 
are there specific best practices then that a leader can instill to sort of reshape the practices culture when it has uh, become kind yeah. of isolated by technology? How can you not, as you said, that draconian idea where people have to put their uh, cell phones in buckets or in jails, so to speak, uh, what can we do where you encourage them to, when it's the right time, you can use technology, but at other times, let's, let's really focus on what's in front of us here. So the first thing I tell, and I believe, and I actually work hard to live, is look in the mirror first. Are you walking your talk? Are you isolating yourself in your office all day long? It's, it's kind of an evaluation of your own work and how you do it. Um, are you using email as a way to have conversations that need to be more, uh, and I use the word confrontation here carefully, but the idea is, is a confrontation doesn't necessarily mean a adversarial conversation. It means that you are in front of someone. And actually, quite honestly, most of the time, I don't encourage people to talk face-to-face. -face. I talk, ask them to talk side-by-side. But if you put yourself physically next to someone, you're looking at the problem and not the person. And that frequently helps things be more objective and a little bit easier to work through, especially when it's a difficult conversation. But more important is managing, you know, the things that aren't, you know, people easily define the things that aren't going well. But if you're getting yourself up out of your desk and walking around your office to find people doing their work well. And this is something that I think we don't spend enough time doing as a leader is going around and finding people being successful mm -hmm. and then remarking on it. And it takes minutes in a day. That's all it takes, truly. And several years ago, I started doing that um, as a part of my daily work. Is, um, and they used to coin an acronym MBWA, Management by Walking Around. Mm -hmm. it, it is really just that simple is walking by someone and thanking them for being in that seat. That's all it takes. You don't have to like them. You don't have to do anything. But thank you and please are amazing leadership tools. And so the first thing I do is ask people to, to call themselves to the question. And then the second place to go with that is, is making sure the physicians and practitioners you work with start to think that way as well. It's not always normal and we can get sucked into all kinds of um, distractions. But just um, my favorite example, which I used for years, and this physician is now retired, but there was a physician I worked with for literally 40 years in different capacities. And that gentleman, every single evening, went up to his front desk and thanked the receptionist for their work that day. He didn't qualify it. He didn't talk about it. He just said, thank you. Hmm. Have a good evening. Yeah. He had, so get, so, so first of all, he wasn't perfect. He was a challenging position to, at times. But that acknowledgement of gratitude to those folks engendered an inordinate amount of loyalty to that individual. And a lot of grace as well, quite frankly. And I just challenge folks to be thinking from that space of not what's wrong, but what's right about what's going on in your particular environment. Doesn't mean there aren't significant issues. But call on the question on that. So the first place I go to in working on helping people move is, is starting from the place of self first. If you don't do it for yourself, you can't expect others to do it as well. Um, and, and that's a very critical self-awareness conversation. 
So making on your calendar every day a five-minute MBWA. Work hard not to get sucked into people's issues and drama. It is about walking around, seeing things. And if somebody comes up to you with an issue, great, no problem. If it's a yes or no question, answer it, get it off your table. But if it's something more complicated or um, probably should be done behind a, you know, a door or in a private space, ask them to meet you in 10 minutes in your office or something like that. So, because what that also does is sets their expectations as well. So it's really about being disciplined to managing time. That's the first thing I do going into offices. The second thing is a, is a great way to do this is using technology and um, embedding thinking into ways people think. And it's messages from leadership. Um, in most practices, when I've been there as an executive in some way, I set up a, something I call Deb's Daily Dose. Mm-hmm. Name it whatever you want. I'm lucky my name, it's an alliteration. It works, yeah. okay? But it is, as you think about things you want your staff to be embracing, there's hundreds of inspirational quotes out there on a myriad of topics. And I used to take a half an hour about once a month and set up, a, you know, in my Outlook calendar, Deb's Daily Dose, and I could shoot it out to people on a regular basis. I didn't do anything after I did it, you know, since that half an hour. Um, and you just start to get people seeing these things pop up in their email box. Don't have to make a big deal about it. Don't have to say anything. Let them make it their own as is appropriate to them. And sometimes it will be irrelevant. Sometimes it'll matter. But I have yet to have a position that I left um, because I was an interim executive um, that folks didn't say, can I still get Deb's daily dose? And I of course had to say, no, I'm not in your system anymore, but here's what you can do for yourself to do the same thing. So it was just, it wasn't about owning it. It was about giving it away. And I think that's another opportunity people have to think differently about how to use technology. Well, that, that's, that is very insightful. And I wanted to ask you one other question related to culture. Leadership is one aspect mm-hmm. of it, but employee engagement, um, having them buy mm-hmm. in is also something that you've talked quite a bit about what are some right. of the best ways a, a practice can implement a stronger culture where employee engagement is a, is a big part of that? So, so the first thing on that one is, is that it's about clarity and accountability. Um, and some people use the word responsibility. I don't care which one you use. But at the end of the day, giving people permission to be successful. And then both acknowledging it and then letting them own the consequences of failure and not fixing it for them. One of the things I watch happen frequently and somewhat based on the fact that medicine by definition is an order-based, I hate the word industry, but I don't know what else to use right now, in that the culture is waiting for orders. And that order comes from a physician or practitioner and that sort of is the top-down mindset. The challenge of that is, is that matters when it comes to the immediate clinical care of a patient, but the business of care really needs to be a bottom-up culture, and bottom not being lower ranked, but just the whole of the organization needing to be involved in processes and how things get done. And if management and leadership can figure out how to truly engage with them, there's lots of systems out there, Lean, Six Sigma, all kinds of things, but letting employees be smart, letting, and that is, I say that truly, giving them permission to be smart, 
they should know their job way better than you do. So let them own the responsibility for the consequences of that job. Um, and then, and then quite frankly, celebrate it. I think that's one of the things we don't do enough in healthcare. It doesn't seem to me, and it's not employee the month employee. It's about those little moments I talked about where you acknowledge someone just in that moment. That's way more powerful. In my opinion, it's, I find frequently that's a real culture changer. It's truly the culture of courtesy and, and acknowledging folks with pleases and thank yous. How long does it take you to say those two words? nanosecond and how frequently do you do that in the course of a day make it a game count the number of times you know you say please or thank you in a day challenge the physicians to do the same thing um, it is it's remarkable to me the number of times I hear people asking for things um, and forgetting that to say please and or not acknowledging the re receipt of request with a thank you it's a, it just it's just so I guess, I don't know if that helps, but it's really getting down in there and letting employees be part of the solution. Um, again, like I said, clinical care starts with the clinical experts, and, but it's where that middle meets between the process of getting clinical care and the um, expertise of doing the clinical care that you've got opportunity for folks to really own their work and be help, you know, it's successful all the way around. Who wins? Well, quite frankly, most people, when you ask them, why did I get into medicine or come into healthcare, is because I like being around people and taking care of them and helping them. Giving them opportunities to do that um, is, is what it's about. I just recently, I have to tell you, I think um, it's contagious. I just came back, as you know, from Walt uh, Disney World last night mm -hmm. um, and uh, was there for the, the marathon series this weekend. And I was, but I always go there to learn. And I had two very amazing personal learning experiences there around that contagion of happiness and magic. And it's in very difficult circumstances, but a couple of people did things for me personally, didn't ask for it, wasn't expecting it, that just made my experience there so much better. Um, one person, I was in a race and I, it was a, a challenge for me. Um, and someone who could have gone much faster than me, totally capable of doing it, chose to go at my pace to help me finish the race. And it was more important to her, and she valued more my success than her own. And I did not take that for granted. Um, she's, you know, it was amazing. And then another situation where I was um, standing in the sun and someone recognized it and they made it possible for me to move to a place where it was shadier and brought me a bottle. I was after the race and this gentleman, he was a volunteer and he just sort of became my little personal post-race cocoon for um, managing. And he didn't have to do that. His job was to take care of the gear bag. His job was to make sure that the bags got to the right person. But he recognized that I was struggling a little bit and realize, you know, I'm okay with it. The thing that's important about that is he had permission to do it. Both these folks, self-initiating permission to do something that wasn't within their scope of expectation. And I think that's part of leadership and management is to give people permission to be successful. Um, an old, old statement, I actually do not know the origins of it, but it's my job is to make the people under me successful. Um, at the time, I think I heard that probably in like 1984 or something like that. 
And I remember thinking at the time, wow, you know, and I, I embraced it and realized that when other people are successful, guess what happens to me? I glow in the dark, <laughs> you know, uh, how right, can you not? Right. But if, so it's really calling the question with yourself. Are you letting the people and encouraging them to be successful? Are you only pointing out their faults and failures? I think it was Marcus Buckingham who said, you know, we cannot change people's weaknesses. We can only play to their strengths. So check in on that. Are you asking people to do things that are, they're just not capable of doing? Well, then that's when we pull out what I call the B2B stop it button. Stop it. It won't ever be okay, and you will fail, because they will. Deb, those are wonderful insights, and thanks for sharing them with our audience, and thanks for joining us today. My pleasure to be here, Dan, and um, best wishes to all you folks out there in the podcast world. Thank you.